Bruce Freeman of Adult Side Broker, and welcome to Adult Side Broker Talk, where each week we interview one of the movers and shakers of the adult industry, and we give you a tip on buying and selling websites. This week we'll be speaking with Allison Bowden, the Executive Director of the Free Speech Coalition, in part one of a two-part interview. Adult Site Broker is proud to announce the launch of our new website, Adult Site Broker 3.0, at adultsitebroker.com. The look and feel of the new site is nice and up-to-date and easier to navigate. The new site also has links to our affiliate program, ASB Cash, and our new blog. Speaking of ASB Cash, we've doubled our affiliate payouts. Now, when you refer sellers or buyers to us at Adult Site Broker, you're going to receive 20% of our broker commission on any and all sales that result from that referral for life. You can either place a link to us on your site or refer buyers and sellers through an email introduction. ASB Cash is the first affiliate program for an adult website brokerage. Check out asbcash.com for more details and to sign up. Now let's feature our property of the week that's for sale at Adult Site Broker. We're proud to offer for sale a streaming network of sites for independent performers. Most of the traffic comes from North America. It's the Shopify of streaming video and offers turnkey streaming sites to content creators. Creators provide some information about their brand, choose a look and feel, upload their images and videos, and they launch their streaming site on the domain of their choice in minutes. The platform provides everything creators need from customer support to payment processing so creators can focus on managing their content and marketing their site. The platform can also generate revenue from ads on free content as well as subscriptions to premium content. The platform uses AWS cloud technology to stream live and on-demand content around the world. The sale also includes a mainstream platform. The content is sold on a monthly subscription basis. The code was developed in-house by their team of engineers. This is a great opportunity to enter the exciting world of live streaming video for a modest cost. Platforms like this cost a lot more to build from scratch. Only $540,000. Now time for this week's interview. My guest today on Adult Site Broker Talk is Allison Bowden of Free Speech Coalition. Allison, thanks for being with us today on Adult Site Broker Talk. Thanks for having me. It's awesome. It took us a little while, but we finally got this scheduled and I'm stoked. Now, Allison is a veteran adult entertainment industry exec, that's a mouthful, who served <laughs> on the FSC's board of directors for over three years, including as its president, before taking on the role of executive director. Since starting her adult industry career in 2003, Allison has held a wide variety of marketing, technology, and leadership positions at companies like Adult Empire, GameLink, Videobox, and Kink.com, where she was CEO. She also serves Pineapple Support as its board president. When do you sleep? Allison holds a bachelor's degree in sociology with a concentration in women's studies from the University of Pittsburgh. You can follow her on social media at at Allison Bowden, that's Allison with an L. She enjoys hiking, drinking wine, diving, and listening to podcasts. No doubt a steady diet of adult site broker talk. Um, the Free Speech Coalition's mission is to protect the rights and freedoms of both the workers and businesses in the adult industry. 
Their organization functions as a resource, a leader, and a tool for the communities that they serve. They take pride in fighting to alleviate the social stigma, misinformation, and discriminatory policies that affect those who work in the adult industry. For more than 25 years, wow, they've been fighting and winning impossible battles from the Supreme Court to the ballot box and back again. How'd you like your commercial? I'm impressed with us. Good job, Free Speech Coalition. (laughs) Allison, how did you get your start in this crazy industry? (laughs) Always a funny question. So give me a funny answer. I, I would say I started in college. As you mentioned, I went to the University of Pittsburgh and grew mm-hmm. up in Pittsburgh. Uh-huh. And that is a town that, you know, it, it didn't have like a good vibrations the way you all did in the Bay Area or mm-hmm. uh, Toys in Bayland like yeah. they did in New York. And it was, it felt to me like Pittsburgh really needed that kind of, of institution. Okay. So a really good friend of mine and I in college, uh, we were like, let's let's open a store. How hard could it be? <laughs> it was impossible, actually. And hmm. this is amazingly still an issue that small retailers face 20 years later. But, you know, zoning laws in yeah. various cities, municipalities are basically like, well, you can be down by the river with the cockroaches and rats hmm. or out by the highway. But that's it. Yeah. So, you know, I did that for a little while. and you know, graduated college, needed a real job, and just lucked out that adult DVD empire happened to be hiring someone to deal with their sex toys. Mm. <laughs> kind of a dream job. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's kind of <laughs> that's kind of where I started. Wow. So they were called adult DVD empire then? Back in those days, yeah. 2004. Makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I've never seen so many DVDs and probably never (laughs) will again. You will never again. What were, hey man, I I remember Betamaxes, okay? So I'm a (laughs) lot older than you. What were the big issues that the industry was facing at that time? You know, I hate to say they were similar to now, but... I know, huh? I do think, right? I do think that like there are some really common threads, right? social acceptability of what we do, the way people think about us, while it definitely isn't ideal now, I would argue it was much worse back then. Of course. You know? And and you know, twenty years is an absurdly long amount of time. And I kind of can't even believe that I've been doing this this long. But you know Tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like thinking about, you know, even being able to tell people what you did for a living. You know, there was just so much judgment. It was so, it was really hard. And the way that sex workers were treated was, believe it or not, even worse. At that point, when I was working at Empire, that was when the FBI was doing uh, 2257 inspections. Yeah. They came to us. Oh, jeez. Helpfully located in Pennsylvania. So, Mm. you know, that was really the big, scary issue at the time, kind of what do we do about the secondary producer requirement? I remember spending mm-hmm. days, even though I was the sex toy person, I had to sit in front of a computer and like look through 2257 documentation and match IDs to paperwork just because Lucky we were, you. yeah, like afraid of, <laughs> you know, basically our business getting yeah. destroyed. Yeah. Thankfully, <sighs> FSC 
actually did solve that problem for the industry. Nice. So I guess it's sort of full circle in a way. Yeah, they they had an early uh, impact on you. Exactly. I didn't even know it at the time. Yeah, crazy. So you've held a lot of positions in the industry since then. How did you get from selling sex toys to CEO of Kink? It was a circuitous path, as you might expect. So sold sex toys at Empire, got recruited to come out to San Francisco and work with GameLink. Mm-hmm. And they needed some help with sex toys, but mostly they were looking for someone to run their editorial department. So mm. that was one of the fun jobs that I've had, which was interviewing porn stars. I actually yeah. was the first person to interview Sasha Gray. Yeah. Wow. Which was great fun. So yeah, yeah. getting to know that part of the business, getting, you know, I had only really done toys before. So now I'm, I'm learning all about the stars and learning about video mm-hmm. and doing a lot of marketing work while I was at it. And then when I left Game Link, I moved over to a video box where they needed a marketing person. Mm-hmm. Great. I can market. I guess that's a skill, right? So it is. I had no idea what I was doing at first, but I figured it out. I learned uh, I learned how to be a marketer. But in my spare time, I was still, front since back in high school, I taught myself to code. And I always uh-huh. kind of had a, I don't know, some somewhere in the back of my mind, I was like, oh, I, I wish I could just do this for a job. Like, marketing's fun, and making email newsletters is, well, it's actually really a slog. But, you know... It'd be cool to actually be building the websites that, mm-hmm. you know, I'm working for. Sure. And eventually, you know, after I left Video Box, I started working for Kink because they were hiring an email marketing person. Interesting. And believe it or not, even to this day, email marketing often does require a fair bit of HTML coding. <laughs> yeah, it's, it certainly does. <laughs> and I always need help with it, by the way. You know, if you need somebody, reach out because it's a lot of tables. It's a lot of tables. So, you know, doing that coding for Kink, running, uh, I eventually became kind of their comms person. But I always in the back of my mind was like, well, you know, one day I'm going to kind of going to do this for a real job. I'm going to write code. And I mentioned that to a boss there and they're like, well, why not just do it here? And so the head of technology there pulled me over to that department. I worked as a coder there for years, hmm. and it was great. It was some of the the best, most uh, satisfying work I've done. And then, of you course, do not you do not come across to me as a coder <laughs> who can sit in a room for days on. And I, sorry, I, you you don't seem to be that type to me. <laughs> I guess I should take that as a compliment. <laughs> You should. You should. Thank you. No, thank you. And, you know, I think that's part of the reason I ended up becoming management because, you know, coding is fun, but you need somebody who can who can manage a bunch of, of other coders. Right. And so got promoted, was running the tech team, became the VP of tech. And when, you know, Kink's founder, Peter, decided that he was mm-hmm. going to take some time and, you right. know, enjoy the spoils of having sold the, the San Francisco armory and needed somebody to step in and run the company. Mm-hmm. He picked me. So that was really, you know, a lot of kind of 
It's like, sure, I went to college, but really all the skills that I got were self-taught or kind of figured out on the job. And yeah. I like to say I went from the email room to the CEO's office. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, and it really helps to be running something when you know everyone's job. I unfortunately yeah. don't have the <laughs> knowledge of everyone's job. I've been a little lazy that way. I actually have uh, an HTML course that I, one of these days, and I keep moving it back on my calendar that I'm going to go through uh, because yeah. I really should learn it, But and I'm going to. But yeah, it's really helpful to know what everyone does and how they do it. Oh, for sure. I mean, I think the fact that I worked for the company for seven years in a bunch of different roles before taking over was, I mean, really impactful on the way I ran the company because knowing, mm -hmm. you know, how hard everyone's job is, you know, yeah. from having done it or, or sat next to them or having talked to them about it. Um, right. it, it really does change your perspective. Absolutely. So as CEO of Kink, you really sought to modernize what at that point was a 20 year company. What was that like? You know, it was a lot of fun. Honestly, I think that it was a huge change moving out of the armory. You know, we'd been there. I had worked there in that building in that giant castle for years and years. Yeah. Yeah. Seven and a half, eight years. And that so was, that was a cool place. It was really amazing. Mm -hmm. Although it also didn't have heat or air conditioning. So, Oops. you know, pros and cons. <laughs> well, San Francisco, you don't need air conditioning in San Francisco. That's for darn sure. I don't know, Bruce. Climate change has made some pretty uncomfortable days, <laughs> even in the Bay. Yeah, maybe I'm thinking of the days when <laughs> I lived in the Bay Area, because what I remember is nobody had had air conditioning then. You didn't used to need it. Nowadays, there are a couple, even in the the city itself, over a hundred degrees, and that that giant every once in a while, definitely. <laughs> oh yeah, boy, I bet it can retain heat. Yeah. Oh yeah. Sure. So, you know, well, I remember one the, time being at, a, being at a jazz <laughs> show in San Francisco and it was just like really hot and there was no air conditioning and everyone was just dying. Oh, yeah. Because you don't expect it in San Francisco at all. Of course. Just of like, course. What's, what's going on here? <laughs> but, you know, kind of trying to move into a different building and one of like those, those sort of cool you know, startup y brick exposed buildings in, in San Francisco and Soma yeah. kind of changing our focus technologically. You know, right. I really benefited from having the support of the founder. I don't think I could have made the changes I did or or moved the company forward in the ways that I was able to without his trust. So on the one sure. hand it was crazy and you know really difficult to to kind of turn a, a giant cruise ship you don't turn them on a dime but mm -hmm. you know it was also just a real joy because i was surrounded by the absolute best human beings like my colleagues at kink yeah. are still you know a close family yeah absolutely was jet was uh was jesse garza working there when you were there he sure was. Yeah, wow. we worked together for a couple years. So tragic. So tragic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we just got it's... the news a few days ago as we record this uh, that Jesse uh, 
sadly passed at a very young age, 39 years old. Incredibly yeah. shocking. And, and yeah, really yeah. so sad. So we saw him a couple of weeks ago and uh, just like, just like life, it's, you know, someone's gone before you even know it. And it, you don't even get a chance to say goodbye. It's really sad. Yeah. Yeah. So what were some of the changes that you were most proud of at Kink? You know, I felt like when I was in the tech role, I was really excited because we were, you know, I was part of the team that rewrote the entire technology stack. So just built mm -hmm. a new website completely from scratch. Then when I, you know, was running the company, now you're thinking about production and marketing mm -hmm. and, you know, the accounting group. And yep. I feel like, you know, it was a, it was a really interesting change at the company at that moment because not only did we move out of the armory, but all of the producers prior to that, um, I think Kink may have been the, one of the last companies that actually had everybody on payroll. Yeah. So all the directors, all of the PAs, every, everyone was actually an employee of kink.com. Mm -hmm. And when Peter handed over the keys, he had also kind of moved everybody out. And so they're all kind of in their own new studios in three different cities and two different, three different states. Jeez. So, yeah. So kind that of. That had to be, that had to be a bit of a challenge. <laughs> it was. And, and, you know, I mean, Kink's known for its, you know, really high standards in terms of consent and, you know, performer rights and so mm -hmm. kind of coming up with a new way to approach that where we turned what used to be our talent department right so we would have people who would do intake and, and handle you know models bookings and things like that but that's no longer what the company does but i took one of those people and turned him into our talent advocate and so this is someone whose entire cool. job is to make sure that all of the producers, no matter where they are, are doing right by the performers and that's be an very, independent, that's you know, check on that. That's very cool. That's very cool. It really, it, it felt great because I felt a little bit better about, oh, I can't like be there every, you know, on, I can't just walk upstairs and check out a set the way I used to. But yeah. A, we were working with people who I trusted deeply. And B, yep. like having someone whose entire role is just to make sure performers are happy. I felt like, you know, I was pretty proud of that. I felt good about that. Mm -hmm. Hey, it doesn't get better than that, right? I mean, if it does, I would love to hear about it because I think everybody should definitely be doing as much as they can for the folks who, let's be honest, make all the rest of us money. <laughs> yeah, it seems like, obviously, in... Like in all businesses, the goal is to make money. And it seems to be that everything else kind of goes by the wayside. And to see that kind of emphasis being put on what's important to the performers, what's important to the employees, it's very rare, isn't it? It used to be extremely rare. I've actually been really excited over the last couple of years in that role, I got to talk to a lot of other, you know, folks in leadership at other companies. Mm -hmm. And in this role, certainly even more. And yeah. I really think that there's been, in certain circumstances, a real fundamental shift toward understanding that, like, we really need to be careful and do a great job protecting the folks who 
are honestly the most vulnerable in our industry yeah. because of the way that it works, right? Like, you know, right. you're just one performer and these are really mm-hmm. big companies. You don't want to lose work. And I think an understanding of, of that and sort of the power dynamics and the mm-hmm. way that, you know, these sorts of things are actually a good business decision mm-hmm. has, has really, I've, I've seen some change and it's, it's been positive. How much do you think two factors have had to do with that? One uh, being me too, okay? Mm-hmm. And, you know, then the other thing being the advent of the fan sites. I think they they were both really significant in their own ways, right? Mm-hmm. So I think me too was huge. And yeah. it's really, I think, shocking the first time a company realizes that it did something wrong or there's an allegation that they can't mm-hmm. ignore. Right. And that's, you know, that's a really critical moment because they can either choose to like handle it head on and admit that, you know, they should have done better and they will do better and fix it or they can put on the blinders and Mm -hmm. that's, it forces them to make a, make a choice. And I'm pleased by how many made the right choice. And I think that had, had me Too not happened. So many of these problems still would have been pushed under the rug and performers wouldn't have felt as empowered to say, Hey, actually this wasn't okay. What happened to me? So enormous. Absolutely. Right. Not only that, you're right. OnlyFans changed the game. Now they don't, mm-hmm. you know, they're not like, oh, well, I'm going to get blacklisted by this company. Now my career's over. They're making more in an afternoon on OnlyFans than yep. they would on a, you know, a two-day shoot. So they, are. they have no reason to work with companies that don't treat them extremely well. Exactly. Well, the key is to get rid of the Ron Jeremy's of the world. Mm-hmm. Boy, has that been a fiasco, and I'm sure we haven't heard the last of it, unfortunately. It's a it's a black eye on our industry, which is the worst part of it, because it all ends up in, in mainstream news. It's incredible how one bad apple, and I hate using that phrase, but you no, know, okay. those individual examples of bad actors mm-hmm. are, are where the media decides to look when they want to talk about the industry as a whole. So we all of get course. of course it's where they want to look. Of course. Yeah. No doubt about it. So when you left kink in 21, you could have stayed in the for-profit sector and obviously done well considering your track record. How did you come to end up taking over at free speech coalition? Well, thank you for, for saying that. Um, yeah. Well, look, I, I mean, Allison, your reputation in this industry is phenomenal, and I'm going to say it if nobody else does. I appreciate it, Bruce. I did have some offers, and they sure they were tempting. Right. But in a way, you know, having served on the board um, for a few years and knowing what it is free speech has been trying to do mm-hmm. and having some thoughts that, like, you know, I might be able to bring something new and maybe, you know, push things forward in a way that somebody who, you know, a lot of the the history of this organization has been that it's been run by executive directors who aren't from our industry for better or worse. Right. And so I just thought, you know, after 20 years in this industry, maybe I can bring a, 
a new energy, mm-hmm. do it my own way, and, right. and and really accomplish some stuff. So, you know, I can always go back to the private sector, but the sure. opportunity kind of arose when I was, because, you know, being CEO, it's it's pretty exhausting. I was like, oh, let yeah. me take a couple months. <laughs> take a nap. <laughs> um but you know when when the board approached me when there was a you know the former executive director left we needed someone i said yeah of course i mean hmm. there's really no other there's nothing else i could have done it Interesting. It's really i love fsc i love what mm-hmm. what we stand for i it's honestly a really big um it's an honor to to be the one defending this industry that i yes did spent my entire life in. I'll be honest. When I heard you had taken over, first, I was very happy. Okay. And second, I was kind of surprised because I'm like, I mean, Allison can do anything she wants in this industry. Why take over a nonprofit? But I'm sure your experience throughout your career, including what we talked about early in your career, where you realized what FSC was and what they did and how important they were, I'm sure that played into it. A hundred percent. I mean, you know, I came from a, when I was in college, of course, you know, I was pretty politically active. I had been arrested. Surprised. I'm really surprised. I'm really surprised by that. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. You know, and, and it kind of, you know, I never thought like, Allison, you sold out by just working in porn. But there was also a part of me that was like, yeah, you know, it'd be really cool if someday, like, you can make a difference for the industry. Yeah, absolutely. It was a no brainer. More power to you. More power to you. So nonprofits are a much different animal than for profit companies. What were the biggest challenges you faced with the transition? As it turns out, yeah, they're a real, <laughs> it's a really different animal. Big time. I was like, oh, yeah, I, I ran a, I ran kink.com. I can run FSC. And um, gosh, what isn't different? <laughs> so, you know, 50 employees or five. Yeah. 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 Well, there's some simplicity to yeah. that, too, of course. A hundred percent. Yeah. No. And, and, and I think that, you know, understanding the whole, the the impact of of being a nonprofit the the different ways that you know you have to run an organization than you you did have to run a company just from taxes and mm-hmm. I mean it's not that hard to sell porn or sex toys if we're being mm-hmm. honest people want those things oh yeah you have to do a good job yes have good product but frankly yes. you know it's a little harder to sell the idea of Supporting the industry, protecting oh, yeah. our rights. You know, so that I think was the biggest change. Like, okay, I'm not selling skin and, and pleasure. I'm selling your right to sell it. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but I but I think being able to, having come from the perspective of being an FSC member and having donated and understanding, you know, what it meant to go from early in my career being raided by the FBI to hmm. what FSC did mm-hmm. to where we all are now. Yeah. You know, I have a personal story. I could sell it. And sure. we're doing a lot. And I'm sure being on the board also I'm sure being on the board also played into it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, 
had I had I been totally new to it, gosh, I'm not even. It'd be crazy to take this job. But you know, after a few years of kind of watching it, getting close to my fellow board members, having been the treasurer of the organization, so super familiar with you know what the the books look like, always a an important consideration. Oh yeah. Um, I felt like yeah, okay, we can make this work. Absolutely. So beyond what you do at FSC, you're also president of Pineapple Supports Board, which, by the way, we are a proud sponsor of Pineapple Support. I, as I've said many, many times, I'm a huge advocate for anything that helps mental health. And that also Mm -hmm. plays into my life that I've thought and used therapists and think the world of them. How did you get involved with them? Well, big same, you know. I I am so happy, or I was so happy back when, gosh, whatever year that was, when Leah decided she was going to try to start mm-hmm. an organization. It's like to, three years now. Oh my gosh, it's crazy. Time flies. Yeah, I know. Right? I know. And and I we happen to be in the same city because you know she lives in Spain and I I happen to be in LA and she was there at the same time and we grabbed lunch and she was like, look, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna start this nonprofit. And I was like, that is the most amazing thing I've ever heard. Yeah. Um, She's amazing. Can, can I help? Do you need it? <laughs> like, yeah. I, don't, yeah. I don't know how I can help. And yeah, no, she's just extremely, extremely. I only really came to appreciate her. I definitely appreciate her before I had this job. But now yeah. doing a similar thing, I'm like, holy crap, are you good at this? Like mm-hmm. she has allowed that organization to serve thousands of yeah. performers who needed right. the help think about so, how many lives that saved lives saved it's just yep. incredible and yep. she deserves all the credit in the world i agree um, i agree i can't believe how far it's come even just in three years yes from nothing to you know coming up on ten thousand people Jeez. who've gotten help through pineapple support we promote it every chance we get on this podcast. I've had her on a couple times. I've had one of her therapists on. To me, it's just a phenomenon that is just so important to this industry. Oh, incredibly. It's so important everywhere. And, and it's very sad to me that this isn't you know the way every industry treats its workers well, giving them here's access the, to help or the US government even yeah well there's such a stigma though there's such a stigma exactly. about mental health and if you think there's a stigma in the US try being in Thailand try being uh, in another country that that isn't as progressive well i don't like to say the US is progressive <laughs> anymore but that can be as progressive as the US that is progressive in some ways and in other ways going backward but that's another story yeah and i mean even you know being a sex worker in the united states makes it incredibly difficult to find a provider who isn't judging you and right. you know if you have access it it can be dicey i've even had therapists who've been really weird to me because mm-hmm. i was on the business side so yeah like, yeah tell me pineapple, about it screening all these therapists making sure that they like understand the issues and treat all of our, you know, clients with respect. It's just, I can't, A, I can't thank you enough for the support. 
because sure. the organization really needs it. And it's just, it's wonderful. It's really great. Well, our industry, as you know, and this is one of the goals of FSC is to try to turn this around, but we get prejudice from every turn, but it's amazing we would get prejudice from therapists. Right. It seems almost at odds with what therapists are supposed to do. Yeah, I'm sure they've got a an oath and they're breaking it by that. So, oh, well, thank God for laying pineapple support. That's all I can say. So Mm -hmm. I saw you at AVN and you were having meetings with various platforms. You were moving so fast. It wasn't funny. You didn't even (laughs) hardly get a chance to say hi. Uh, What do you see as the biggest issues facing the industry? You know, I think that one of the issues that really came to the fore in the fall when Wells Fargo decided to completely ban essentially adult Mm -hmm. businesses and, and workers from, from their, you know, from their bank, it, it just made an issue that has always been simmering like, Oh, so-and-so lost the bank account. Let's see if we can find them a new one, but it just Mm -hmm. really brought to the fore how much discrimination our industry faces from what is essentially a basic human right like you have to have mm-hmm. access to the financial services uh, mm-hmm. world in order to exist as a yes. human yep and that really galvanized me and and made it really clear that that's a, an issue we need to tackle yes i think in addition you know louisiana passing its age verification law was just the most recent in a whole string of, of really bad age verification mandates yeah. that we are we're gonna have to deal with. Sure. It's happening. And so getting our strategy proactively, I've been talking to a lot of the platforms about look what what could work. Obviously these these suggestions that like websites need to use and official i mean la wallet is what the louisiana legislature wants you to use it's absurd it's expensive Mm. it's using someone's actual id i mean we just if you care about privacy if you care about like actually having customers tomorrow yeah we we can't and they they know know people will they know the vast majority of people won't do that because it's porn exactly the whole point is to deprive adults of access to material that they have a constitutional right to view. Yeah. It's, it's just the first amendment. Yeah. Just that. Just number yeah, one. Uh, so, no big deal. So tackling that really big issue, you know, I, I think that we're already, you know, making some strides there. My broker tip today is part one on how to buy a site. The first question to ask yourself is what kind of site would you like to buy? Would you like a tube site, a cam site, a dating site, a membership site, a social media site, or something else. If you want to buy a membership site, what type of membership site do you want and in what niche? There are literally hundreds of niches and many sub-niches. For instance, let's say you want to buy a gay site. Under gay, there's bears or mature, bareback, Asian, Latino, amateur, bi, black, euro, and fetish, along with many fetishes under that classification. 
Plus, there's hardcore, jocks, porn stars, solo, trans, twinks, and uniforms. Straight has even more sub-niches. I can't tell you how many people contact me and just say, I want to buy a site, or I want to buy a pay site. I obviously need more information than that. How you make this decision should be based on these factors. What interests you? What you enjoy should definitely play a part in what you buy. Let's say you like men and want to make money on a straight site. That's probably a really bad idea. Same thing if you're straight and want to buy a gay site. So what you like plays a part. What's your budget? This is something you need to establish at the very beginning. Not only do you need to know what it is you're working with, but some classifications of sites are more expensive than others. For instance, if you want a campsite with any traffic or revenue at all, you're going to need a lot of money. In fact, to buy any established and successful site is going to be really expensive. If you buy a site that's pretty much just a platform without traffic or sales, you're going to need a huge investment to build it up. In that case, it might actually be as good or better just to start your own site. That way you get exactly what it is you're looking for. We'll talk about this subject more next week. And next week will be part two of our interview with Allison Bowden. And that's it for this week's Adult Site Broker Talk. I'd once again like to thank my guest, Allison Bowden. Talk to you again next week on Adult Site Broker Talk. I'm Bruce Friedman.